How did you get booked on the Howard and, and that experience? Because you seemed pretty geeked up to be on there as well. I was more worried and excited about going on Stern than I was to do the Super Bowl, at least the worried part. HBO got him, and I was like, Artie, rip me. When you get out there, just shred me. I don't care. And I didn't know it would go to that degree. Well, why is Howard over there? I'm curious. Um, Just, I don't know. It's just different. Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch. It's sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. There's five locations. STLMasses.com is their website. Go there, check out the uh, menus, directions, and uh, maybe you'll see a picture of Joe Buck, our guest today, who is with me. Because he's a St. Louisan and I know he likes to travel to St. Louis restaurants and just pop in and sign photos. Oh, yeah. And... yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I, uh, that's, you know, I think that's the one thing. Brad, that my wife has found out moving here from L.A., originally from Denver, that St. Louis on the restaurant side is probably a hid, still a hidden gem. Uh, I think we have good hospitals, we've got great schools, two really good sports teams, and great restaurants. And, uh, and, and a nice community that, that I think is uh, really conducive to raising kids, which I'm doing for the second time in my life. So, uh, yeah, I'm becoming an expert on that, too. Yeah, congratulations. I was thinking about this. This is, I don't know if I'm sure it's been mentioned, but your dad obviously had a couple marriages, had some kids older and then younger. You're following this pattern. You're doing everything your dad did. It's kind of, you know, it is weird, and I've thought about it before. Um, kind of the timing of things uh, away from work. You know, work is kind of, Obviously, yeah, I, I rode in on his coattails. I was doing Cardinal games when I was a, a little kid, uh, 21 years old, and, uh, you know, got an early start. And that that's all on one side of the ledger. And then on the other, the personal side, whether it's divorce at about the same time, uh, a second family, um, and, and kind of some of the stuff that, that went on uh, around his career, I do feel like I am just basically living his life all over again, minus serving my country in World War II. I mean, that's kind of a huge piece of, of who he was and uh, really what defined him because that, you know, him uh, going to Germany in World War II and earning a Purple Heart is what allowed him uh, to go to college on the GI Bill, which is where he studied broadcasting, which is where... You know, he kind of launched his career to a couple of years in the minor leagues, then to St. Louis. So without World War II um, and, and all that went on with that, uh, I, I don't know that he ends up doing what he ended up doing. So uh, that that's one huge difference uh, between the two of us uh, and, and probably better that it was him uh, serving the country as opposed to me. Uh, I would have been sucking my thumb in the corner. I don't know. My dad, a couple of uncles, my grandfather. Uh, my dad was Vietnam, a couple uncles Vietnam. Uh, I just don't even understand how they did it. Like, and it's just, I, mean, I think about myself, I don't think we're the same, but I know I, I, I'd be sucking my thumb is what I'd be saying. Yeah, yeah I, I just don't know what it was about. I do believe, and, and you're right, you know, then it came uh, around again with Vietnam. And there was a, there, there's just like these times come up for different generations in our country's history. And, and I agree with Tom Brokaw that that was the greatest generation of, you know, when you consider the casualties and the enormity of the task and people going and doing it. My grandfather, who 
my mom's dad was, I don't know, late thirties, early forties, and just said, I want to enlist and, and went in and, and, you know, became part of the Navy. And, and it was a guy that played in the NFL. It was a great athlete and uh, really had a lot going on and had a career and had two young kids. And, and that was just a time when he was like, you know what, the, my country needs me and I'm going to enlist and, and go serve my country. And thank God there were people like that, or, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe there would have been a different outcome uh, to that time in, in this world's history back in the forties. It's amazing because I was—I never know how interviews are going to start. I'm always worried about what are we going to start with. So I thought we'd finish with your dad, or we—I know we talk about him at some point. But I have a prop here. I don't think I've ever showed this to you. I'm showing it now. This is uh, 1989. This is a 12-year-old Brad in the. Uh, remember the booth they used to have where call, you call an inning or something. So I got this in uh, in 1989. They, yeah, I uh, and, and your dad signed it, and uh, I was 12. But yeah, so they they had the thing where you could pay like thirty bucks, go do an inning, and leave. Well, then your dad pops in. <laughs> I'm like, because oh, I'm being stupid kid, Brad. Like, oh, Pasquale Perez suck. Look at that hair. And then your dad walks in. I'm like, two one pitch, swinging him. Because now I'm scared, oh scared shitless because I don't want to sound stupid. And you're, I'm waiting for your. I wanted him to come over, and he finally does. He comes. You know, we need a hit and some runs here. This is going to be a wasted inning up here. And I'm like, that's all I needed. That's so great. There's two outs, and this is my last chance. Hold on. While we're on tape, let me shake. Ah, that's, that's Jack Buck back there. Better get a hit and some runs, otherwise it'd be a wasted inning up here. <laughs> I know. Two. I've been up here two innings now. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I didn't know that that I feel like, you know, I, I feel like that's the time when I first met you, right? Just, just being around and then, you know, doing what you do. And, and I'm glad you've got this podcast. I, you know, seeing those pictures and seeing, hearing a story like that, I swear to God, I get, I don't want to exaggerate. Um, but I, I get three stories a week. I don't want to say I get one every day, but I get three stories a week if I'm in town, you know, for a big chunk of time, which I am now. And people telling me the the best stuff about my dad, that that's just been the, the silver lining to, to everything, you know, since he passed away, I, he's still alive to me in so many different ways. You know, when I, I walk into my office, he's all over my office and there are old pictures of him from back working at, you know, doing Cardinal games on, I think it's channel 11. There's a really cool picture of him pouring like a Bush beer. It looks like he's doing a live ad read and it, there's a KPLR TV camera there in the picture. And, uh, you know, going around Starbucks or wherever I am, there's somebody will like walk around the corner and go, oh, my God, I've got the best story about your dad. If you want to hear it, if I want to hear it, absolutely. So, you know, for him to to do that and sit down and chime in and uh, he just loved people. And And sometimes I feel like I fall so short in that category because he just couldn't get enough of people's stories. And maybe that's just because. Of, of how he came up. He came from nothing uh, and, and he made his own way. And, and I, I think he loved kind of the human condition and getting to know uh, what made people tick. And that's what made him such a great interview is he had a genuine interest uh, in people's lives. And when we met countless people at dinners all over St. Louis, going to Canetto's, for big family dinners, I mean, he'd see people and he'd remember who they were. And even if they met him in passing, 
so he had a really great knack for making people feel special when they met him. No, he was he was great, and that was '89. My mom framed that like for Christmas in '89, so I still have it. Uh, this is like the fifth or sixth move I've ever made, but I always I, I was like, wait, I gotta show Joe this thing I had. I didn't. He probably doesn't even know this. But Jack, yeah. th- then he was I, as maybe maybe people know, but I started doing public access when I was fifteen in my parents' house. And Jack was one of the first people. Like, celebrities were Jack Buck, Mike Bush, Bob Costa. Like, those were the celebrities in St. Louis. And to be 16 years old and have people like that do interviews and be nice to me and then remember you. And, you know, your dad was, how's it going? Atlanta's hot, isn't it? Just And then you came along and did the same thing, so it's, it's very nice. The one thing I was thinking about your dad, too, though, and I think it's great. Um, you know, I was sad when he, when he passed, but we all know it was kind of at the end. Um, right. And I, I was just worried that like people would not remember how great he was, you know, because five years, 10 years, you start, you're not hearing him as much, but I feel like there's some sort of resurgence of, of, of these shows. Maybe it's great that MLB network is around where we get to hear and, and he's revered. It seems even more than he was when he was alive, which is, is odd to me. Do you get I that? Think that happens though. I, I think that happens. It's not just, uh, you know, with my dad, I agree with you. I, I think for people of a certain generation, you know, I, I don't know that unless you were listening to those games night after night, that's just how I grew up. So when I, I've been in the car before, you know, waiting on carry out during this pandemic early on, and I've got uh camel wax on and they're playing an old playoff game of the Cardinals and the giants. And I mean, just hearing, I, I don't know what it is about that, but it, it almost, it's, it's like opening up an old photo album and it just takes you right back to where you were, how old you were, what you were thinking at the time. And I, I just remember, you know, how important those games were to me, how great that broadcast was when my dad was at his best, Mike was at his best. Uh, you know, those games are so great because they're, they're NLCS games and people are hanging on every pitch and just listening to their back and forth, listening to my dad's cadence, listening to just the different things that he would throw in that just, it was like an old, uh, whatever, like an old glove that just fit perfectly. And it just, it just literally, it, it could have made me cry if I really concentrated on it long enough. Uh, because it, it just, it took me back to when I was 18, when that was going on and, and, you know, life is so different now and so much more complicated and I've got two sets of kids and, you know, I got stuff coming and going and career. And back then it was like, my God, it was Cardinal baseball and everything else didn't matter. And, and I was like that when I was a little kid, when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, when I went to college living and dying i was the only goofball probably at indiana listening to my radio to a cardinal game just because it brought me back home and and it was you know it, i love hearing that stuff i can't get enough really yeah it's for you when you say that there was a thing i think they showed ozzy's home run and and people started commenting like uh, where were you oh i can't remember and i said well i was so at the dinner table eating meatloaf watching a black and white tv i, I, I sort of remember it i remember what i ate when ozzy hit the home run you know I, I just don't, I don't know how you cannot know where you were right. if you were old enough Yeah. to, you know, like, how can you not know where you were when Ozzy Smith hit that home run? I happened to be, I was coming back in from football practice uh, at country day, which was a complete waste of time because I sucked and I should have been at the game. 
but I wasn't. And that, that was on in the locker room. Somebody either had a radio. I don't, I, I think it's revisionist history for me to say I was listening to it on the radio. I think I just saw it on a, on a crappy TV, but then hearing that call, um, you know, it was, it, it just, if that doesn't take you right back to that time in your life, I, I don't, I don't understand how it can't. And as I said, I don't ever know how these will start. And we're 10 minutes in now and I didn't think we'd go this far, but the next game is the Jack Clark home run and your podcast is called daddy issues. Well, it's funny. All these stories bring me back to my dad. My dad, uh, was just the pessimistic of pessimistic fans. This team sucks. No matter what they're in the playoffs, the su- like the 99 Rams, he never really enjoyed it because they would win the, the, the Vikings game. They won 49 to 37, but they led 49 to 17. And he, after that game, well, they're, they're, they just gave up too many points. And I'm like, dad, just fucking enjoy it. Jesus. Enjoy it for one second. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the Jack Clark home run, we went to the record store up the street. He was a, he was a wedding DJ and we would, he'd buy me a record. I'd get a record and the Cardinals were down in that game. So in my head, what I remember is that he said, this game's over. Let's go buy some records, we'll watch game seven. And it was on at Butler Hill records, Jack Clark's home run. That's where I saw that one. So yeah, it's just, I mean, we could go on and on. <laughs> you could. And it's, you know, I, I don't, I hope that still exists. I, I'd like to think it does. I'd like to think that there are there's a new generation of fans that will be able to say, I remember where I was when, you know, Dylan Carlson hit a big home run against the Padres in the NLCS, if that comes to pass, or whatever it is. I, I don't but again, I mean for me, with the radio side of it, it the the broadcast of sports broadcasts of sports have changed so much over time that back then it's almost impossible to even believe that there was one game on a week and it was the game of the week on NBC. And my God, the Cardinals are playing the Dodgers this week on the game of the week, not even playoffs. Just what's Vin Scully going to say, Joe Garagiola going to say about the Cardinals. It was just such a departure from the day-to-day radio that we all were hanging on. And, and I, I'd love to think that that continues to this day, the love affair with the team. I, I know that it's out there, but, you know, just one of those, do you remember where you were when? Um, I, I just hope it's there. And, and I hope that there's a love for the game of baseball with a new generation that, that there was. I fell in love with baseball trying to play it late 70s into the 80s. And when I watch MLB during the pandemic, they were playing old, uh, you know, playoff games, Astros, Mets, and and it was Doc Gooden against Nolan Ryan. I'm like, my God, does does it get any better than this? You know, and I, I wasn't, I didn't have a rooting interest for either team, but it was just like, God, it's old crappy Shea Stadium, and and these two guys are just blowing hitters away, and it's just, I, I hope the game is that for a new generation. I really do. And it's so crazy that we're just having this conversation as as dudes talking about our. And then I'm thinking, wait, shit, Joe has calls that people think of this way. The Red Sox, you know, long to hear it. Uh, the Cubs, uh, you know, we'll see you tomorrow night. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you're talking about it as if you don't do this, but you are that voice for so many fans, love you or but hate it's you. It's so different. It's so different, Brad, on TV and being the network guy than being right. the team guy. Like, if you're doing that, those moments that, that I remember, the calls, those calls of my dad's are on radio. Now, I don't know what Vince Scully said 
when Ozzie Smith hit that home run. He was doing the TV, um, I believe. Uh, I don't know what was said on TV in the Jack Clark game and Pedro Guerrero slamming his glove down out in left field. I, I have no, I don't remember any of that, but those radio calls when it's somebody that's on your side, so to speak, and, and you can kind of paint that picture on, on radio. That's the beauty of it. So it is, it is a bit different. And, you know, when I do a, a moment like that, I feel like if I'm going to go on and on and on, I feel like I'm taking that moment and make, trying to make it mine. And I don't feel like I have ownership of that. And it's on television and it's for a national audience. And it's why, you know, and I've done enough of these where everybody's like, oh, that guy hates my team. This guy sucks. He hates my team. This guy's, but that's not my job. I'm not there to pump up your team. I'm just there to cover it. And I'm there to, to get excited in big moments. That may be for your team. That may be against your team. That may be, so you have splitting it down the middle. It's a weird place to live. And the fun is doing it on, on for the team's broadcast. And, and that's where you could really make a memory and, and, you know, get on the outfield wall as my dad is. And, and it makes me smile every time I see his face out there. Um, but, but that's, it's just like, a, it's a, it's a totally different job. Would you want that ever? Would you would you ever get into your 60s, 70s, do all these national games and just pick like a year and say, you know what, I'm going to just, I don't want to take anybody's job, but I'd like to just step in the booth and be the voice. Like like Len Casper did this year. Like, I'm going, I want to do radio. I want to do those playoff games. You think, I mean, it's a long ways away probably. Maybe. I would never say no. I, I think it'd be interesting to see where my boys would be at that point. They're three basically now. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I could see doing a little bit, but I, I think back with the schedule of doing 162 games, and, and I did that for years, and, I, and it was the best training ground. I mean, my God, in a season of 162 games, you basically see everything, and you're calling everything. And some weeks are brutal. And the team stinks. Some weeks are the great. You can't wait to get to the ballpark. Uh, and, and it's just you're living and dying with the team's success or failure. And it's just, that's, that, that's the most fun. That's, that's when you, when you're a part of a good team. And when I was doing it in the nineties, um, they start, obviously once La Russa showed up and Jockety was making the deals and they were, they got better and better and better, but there, there were some bad years there in the early nineties. And, you know, when, when you know, you're a part of a good team, a part meaning you're the radio announcer and you're, you're waiting for guys to get on the bus, you roll up, you know, you got a good shot to win that night. There's nothing better. And, but, but you're only as good as the team is. And, and so when you do it for a network, you know, it becomes really personal. You're only as good as the job you do. And you're being judged by network executives instead of a, uh, really an, an audience that's living and dying with every pitch. So again, I mean, it's totally different. Could I do it? Would I do it? Like you said, I feel weird talking about anybody else's job, but I think down the road, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. Cause I'd love to show my boys what, what that's like and what that's all about and just have them be around it. Are you a, are you a football announcer or a baseball announcer? What are you at? <laughs> so I'll read this. I think, baseball, I, I think, 24 World Series, six Super Bowls. You've done half your life. You've done World Series games. That is a crazy stat, almost. My it math is, is not. But. Yeah, and I, I never expected to do one, let alone 20 plus. And, and I've done 
more than my fair share. And I'm well aware of that. I, I, but baseball is just, I love the strategy. I love the idea that a guy could foul off six pitches in a row. I love the idea that, you know, you're talking about potential late game matchups and how managers want to save a guy for a certain situation. I mean, you mentioned the Cubs and game seven of that world series, Joe Madden did everything he told us he wouldn't do. And he, I think he did it just out of panic. Like, Oh my God, we have this lead and we're going to, we're going to just, we're going to go for bring the hammer right here. And he almost got him. So, I mean, they blew the lead and then they ended up winning obviously in extra innings, but, but that all that conversation just doesn't really happen for me or for any network football announcer, you know, you're a play happens and who made the catch, who made the tackle, how many yards, and then Troy talks. And then we're getting up to the end of the play clock and same thing, second and four. Who made the catch, who made the tackle. It's great because it's huge and there's nothing on TV like it. Uh, but the the strategy and the conversation that you can have in a baseball game is uh, is still, it's how I started in this business and, and it's still what what I enjoy the most. And yet you're going into the Football Hall of Fame and you were nominated for the MLB Hall of Fame in the same year. That's, I mean, that's just so crazy. You're, you're, you're half, it feels like you're only halfway through your career. You're not even, you haven't even really started yet. I mean, you've done 24 yeah, World well, Series. I'm glad you say that. I'm, I'm glad you, you think that way because I, I feel like my mentality has gone from being, oh my God, I'm too young to be doing this stuff to, yeah, is time running out? Like, and I, I do feel like I've got a long way to go but I've, I've done way more than I ever thought I would. And, um, you know, the football hall of fame thing was really cool. The way they did it, they surprised me on a Thursday night game. I think the best part of it, and I've said it a thousand times, but it is true is that my mom is here to see that. And they, you know, my boss called my wife while I was doing the first half and said, tell, you know, the family to watch, you know, the game at halftime, don't tune it out or go, you know, do something else you're going to want to see this. And for her to see me get that award, something that her husband and my dad got back, I think in 96 uh, and, and kind of see that thing come full circle is the best part of it. And, and really I, I don't like, I got a phone call. It's a total name drop, but Marcus Allen called me and he's like, Oh my God, man, welcome to the football hall of fame. I'm like Marcus, I, I, this is like an award. I'm going in this, not even the side door. Like this is, this is, I'm at the kids' table. You earned your way. You're one of the greatest ever. I please thank you, but I'm not even worthy of that call. It's nice to get, but it's not going to make me work less. And uh, you know, like my grandma used to say, that and 25 cents will get you on the bus. So uh, I've been taking a bus in a while. You you have sort of kind of ramped down a little bit with baseball. How many baseball games do you think you'll even do this year outside of the play? Hardly any. I mean, I'm I'm doing maybe. Six regular season, the all-star game, which, which is great because it leaves a big chunk of the summer free. Now golf was a part of that and took some of those games away because I was doing, you know, four separate weeks worth of USGA events. Uh, now that's gone because Fox sold that back to NBC. So uh, it's good because there's a lot of free time. It's tough because then you show up in the postseason. And it's like, oh, my God, who are these guys? You know, teams evolve over the course of the year. And when you're doing all these games, it's so easy to keep up because it's your day-to-day. And when it's not your day-to-day and life gets in the way and now you show up and you're doing the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series, 
It's like, I need to learn. This is a crash course on who all these players are. Now you can get there, but it kind of requires at the most intense time of the year, your full attention to get to where everybody else is and make references that aren't dated. You know, I, because the league changes week to week, let alone month to month. Could you do more if you want, or is this just because of that, that old golf schedule and it's kind of like, yeah, this is kind of nice to have summer off. Yeah. I mean, I think I could, I could press them to do more. I think, you know, like we talked about the game of the week, I love doing it, but for the viewing public, it's one of 162 games that are on TV. And, and I think they've gone, especially post pandemic, if, if we can even call it that yet to more picking up local crews, picking up, not going to the expense of getting a whole new production truck, producer, director, all that stuff. So they're picking and choosing along the way and trying to make it the most economically friendly, uh, regular season and then they shoot their main bullets in the postseason and the all-star game so i'm good with it but um it, it does make it more difficult so weird times with cancel culture gotcha moments you had a few of these just recently and how hard is it now for you when you start thinking about this that uh better not say that you, you just you know you weren't even on air for the stupid flyover thing which i think was great that you went on your your podcast and explained it, and you, like, that was dumb. The Colin Cowherd thing is funny to me, because as I was researching, because we're going to get into this in a second, you said that already on Howard Stern, that you drink before games, or you have a beer. It's in the Howard Stern interview. You can hear it. I I didn't know where I said it. I mean, if, so I said it, there you go. You said said it on Stern. Yeah, you said, oh, I have a beer. Right. Nothing happened that time. Nothing happened, because I was on Howard Stern. Nobody cared. But I've said it beyond that, like, and I hadn't done it, haven't done it since maybe 2016. It was kind of like a stress relief. And like I said, and, and then it becomes, the part that is so frustrating is that it doesn't represent what I said. So for people who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, um, I said on Colin Coward, as I have many other times, that a lot of the times in the first inning of like a big World Series game, I'll have the runner go get the biggest beer that they sell. And I will have it sit there in the corner of like the front left corner of where I broadcast. And if I feel like something's really tense, I'll take a little baby sip of it. But the point of it is that it's like a visual cue to just relax and know that we're just calling a baseball game. And that was the whole point of it. And then it became a thing like, Joe Buck says he drinks during games. Well, I, yeah, I guess technically, but uh, that wasn't really why or what or had any, anything to do with what I was talking about. And, and I'm that way, like, I'm talking to you right now. I, since I sat down, I took my shoes off. Most of the time, and I was late. Obviously, I'm late to everything, but I'll light a candle sitting here. I will have stuff on my board i like i need visual cues to just calm down and not let the stress of calling a big game overwhelm me and so that was just one of many tools i use and so to answer your question it is a weird time and and the irony of it is i talked about this with coward in that same podcast where i said it's almost like why do i go on a podcast and try and be funny or say something kind of out of left field be quirky because if somebody's going to just lift that little piece out and not have it in 
with everything else and it's out of context, you sound like a lunatic. So it's, it's a tough time. It's a different, it's a different job than my dad ever experienced. I mean, some of the stuff he said, some of the stuff he did, you know, it was just a different time. It doesn't mean it's better. It was better than I'm not saying that you have to give that disclaimer too. that. I'm not saying it was better than, but it was just different. So you have to guard yourself at all times and pick and choose your spots. Um, so it's frustrating, but that's, it's either that or don't do it. And, and I, I'd rather just put up with it and explain myself and, you know, that that's a better way to go about it. So I am a huge Stern fan. You went on there in January of 2017. I remember this day because I think I saw it on Twitter. And so I don't, I don't have serious. I'm like, I'm going to have to activate. I have to hear this. Uh, I texted you after it. And I remember I actually looked to see today. You're like, that was a thrill. Tell me just how did that, I know it was during the book tour, but just tell me everything. How did you, how did you get booked on the Howard and, and that experience? Cause you seemed pretty geeked up to be on there as well. I was I was doing the Super Bowl at the end of that week. I think that was Monday. And that Sunday, following Sunday, I was going to do the Super Bowl. And I was more worried and excited about going on Stern than I was to do the Super Bowl, at least the worried part. Definitely excited about doing the Super Bowl. Way more worried about what Howard was going to ask me because he's not a sports fan. And he's the first guy to tell you that. So had I not written the book, where I talk about losing my voice because of getting hair plug surgery or going through divorce or, um, you know, kind of the, the inner workings of what a broadcast is about, just different things, my family history, whatever, that I think opened me up to potentially being a guest, I'm not going to go on there. He's not, he's not interested in interviewing me to talk about this week's All-Star game. That's just not on his radar. So I have a publicist, Louis K. Covert, Creative, I think is the name of it. I hired them at one point when I was putting the book out. And then, so they start, you know, lining up interviews and they have a great relationship with Gary Delabate. He pitched me. Somehow they said yes. And then I've done it a second time since then. Uh, I've had my wife come on. So it's just kind of hard to believe that I got a chance to do it. Um, and it was great. I, under, I, I, I think I learned a lot when I sat there because I, I noticed how locked into me and my answers he's, he was. Like, I, I had done other interviews. I did The Tonight Show with Jay, when Jay Leno was hosting and another not huge sports guy. But he was looking past me the entire time, looking for cues from the producer or, or whatever. And it's unnerving. It's like, am I boring you or how am I going to get your attention back? And Howard was just locked in and, and, I, and, and such a friendly face, like with a smile that just makes you want to talk. And uh, I get it. I get why people go on. If, if you go on Howard Stern and you're not ready to kind of bear all, good luck because he will get it out of you. So you might as well just have fun with it and, and just come with it because he's going to eventually get there anyway. And, and it was a blast and he was great and he could not have been nicer. And, uh, uh it was, it, it's one of the biggest thrills of my career. I think your best call is your call of JD eating breakfast. Yeah. That was the first thing that they had me do too. Cause I got in there early. They're like, Hey, would you mind doing play by play of JD eating his breakfast? And I was like, I was like, Oh my God, really? Um, okay. So they gave me, you know, a few stats, like how many, 
grams of fat the sandwich was that he was eating. And, and so there I am, it's like surreal. I'm here. I am looking at him through a glass door and doing the play by play. They did such a good job of editing that thing. Cause it was not that funny when I did it, but they put it together in a way that made it a lot more entertaining than it otherwise would have been. So, and then I did a phony phone call, which, you know, I, I, I love listening to those. And all they did was had me record lines. I was never on the phone with, you know, who they ended up matching it up with. And they're just firing off little sound bites of me talking. And I just, I was in awe when I listened to it. So like, got it. I mean, it's, you can tell that there's a bit of a disconnect, but it sounds like I'm giving the guy trouble on the other end of the phone line. And I was never on with anybody. I'm just recording in a studio, these random lines that they gave. And that's what they do for a living up there. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You're a, so you're a fan, right? I mean, you listen to him for, cause oh, yeah. You know, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I listen now, uh, I listen now for the interviews more so like I, I will check out every once in a while when it goes down a rabbit hole, kind of some of the, some of the stuff they do. Most of it makes me laugh, but when he gets a long, you know, an hour plus with, take his, I think, you know, in recent times, like him with Vetter or him with Conan or him with, you know, and even people that I didn't think I would love listening to, like Arsenio Hall or different people. And you go, I, why was I not interested in listening to this beforehand? God, I'm glad I did. And wasn't that enjoyable. So I, I really, I'm a huge fan of his interviews and, and the other stuff's good, but the interviews are great. Even even if he rips you though, because I remember back early, I think the Randy Moss call they played over and over. And he's like, "Oh, listen to this guy up there. What's this disgust- yeah, disgusting mean, act stuff?" So well, that and then Artie was Artie when he came on the HBO show. Oh, I want to ask you about that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was all going on, uh, and I was listening to that. That was another time when you were like, "Oh my God, I'm sitting here in my car, just dropped my kids off at school." <laughs> And I'm listening to Howard Stern and Artie Lang rehash an interview that I had done whenever it was. I don't think it was the night before, but maybe two nights before. So, man, I, 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 I you know, it, it was crazy, but it was, I guess, in the end, all that stuff's great. I, th- I For me, when and I listened to that day because it, I just, I was shocked at what happened that night watching on HBO. But Howard, I felt like, was in your, on your side because I... I think he they, was. He was like, "Why would you do that, Art? Why, why, why would you go in there and do that?" And little did we know. I mean, I wrote the forward to his second book, Artie's second book, and he details a lot of that in there. Um, or I don't know, maybe it was in the first book. Either way, reading it and his little conversation he had with Rudd during a break that happened, some of the stuff Rudd said. Rudd was kind of egging him on to kind of do more. And we now know that he was snorting Vicodin and drinking Jack before he went out there. Not exactly uh, information that I had handy at the time when uh, I went in. I did go into his dressing room beforehand. I was excited to meet him because I was a huge fan of the show. I was the one that was like, we got to get Artie Lang. If we can get him, HBO got him. And I was like, Artie, rip me. When you get out there, just shred me. I don't care. And I didn't know it would go to that degree. But I was never upset by it. I was upset by the reaction, but I, I, I wasn't like out there 
about to cry. I mean, I kind of, and it, it got frustrating and I started to lose my patience, but I was trying to fire back. But that you, the whole time you have a voice in your head going, you really want to get into a battle right now with Artie Lang, because I'm going to have to say stuff that's going to just blow my whole uh, persona here and just maybe flush my career. So I just had to kind of sit there and take it. And, you know, again, you live and learn. I probably would handle it better now. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know what else I could have done. So I was going to say, what would you do? How, how would you do anything? To, I don't even know. I can't even, I, <laughs> I can't even, I'm not going to get into a battle of wits with, with somebody that's kind of, I mean, that's what he's known for. And, and it would be like me then trying to heckle him. And it just, I can only say this, and this is not revisionist history. And again, I've, I've told this before, and I think Artie would probably at this point in his life agree with this, but after about the second, second rip on me or the show or whatever it was, the room went from really laughing to kind of like, eh, this is a little bit too much. And he kind of, I don't think he had a great gauge that night of if it was too much or not. And so it, it was probably a little bit too much, but again, HBO kind of came out and freaked out about it. I never really cared. And, and I, so I called him, I don't know, the next day, later that day when I was, after I'd listened to Howard and Artie and everybody, rehash all that and i said hey i left him a message i said it's joe i just want to thank you for coming on i'm not mad at you i told you to rip me it's all good i'm thankful that you even bothered to come down to the studio and do it so no hard feelings he called me right back and he's like anything i can do for you you know i'm a comic it, it probably went too far whatever and and we became friends and you know, he was a part of the second show, which I, I had to demand to have him in the second show, or I said, I'm not going to do the second show. And, and I had to get into a you know, kind of a little bit of a battle on that because I had booked him. I'd written something for him at the beginning to do like a cold opening joke. And then the head of HBO, Richard Plepler, came in and said, no, he's not coming on the second show it's done and over with. And I was like, well, not to me. I've been on in three months and I'm not going to go out there and act like that didn't happen. That's, this is my life. So I'm either going to be able to talk about it and laugh at myself and laugh about it, or I'm not going to do it. I already have a job and I, I won that little battle. And, uh, you know, when that piece of tape came on and he's a part of that opening and the crowd, the studio audience, you know, roared with laughter. I was like, I, I did the right thing and it was funny and it was well done. So it, 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 that was another lesson that you learn. I mean, that that's the only way I can look at this stuff. I think I saw you say too, it's like, well, if Conan had three shows and then they canceled them, how do you even, you didn't even have a chance to really get into a groove. And then there... we had no idea what we really wanted the show to be. So I took the show took over for a, a slot that Costas had, but it was an entirely different tone. Like I, I don't, I didn't want to do what Bob was doing. That's what he does. So let's try and do something different, lighten it up, have comedians on at the end. It is HBO at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night in the East. So you should be able to take advantage of, of that, of having kind of no rules. And uh, yeah, I just totally, I, I didn't understand why that wasn't a positive. Like it, working at Fox and for David Hill for all those years, David would have been the guy to come out and go, 
And that's why the show is going to be exciting. You never know what's going to happen. It's live on HBO. Tune in in three months and let's see what happens in show two. But that was a hard thing. So we, we never really got into a groove of knowing kind of where to step, where not to step, what the tone should be, what the tone shouldn't be, what the format should be, what it shouldn't be. And, and that was the hard part because it was every three months or whatever it was, four shows a year. And it was live live had it been on tape that segment would have never aired probably with with the way they reacted to it so i'm glad it was live and and i'm glad we pulled it off and you know i, I wish it had gone on longer but that's just kind of the way it went and the, when artie goes it was funny listen to the crowd they're guffawing and then yeah. no they're not i mean that they're, they're, guff- they're not, just- not by the end of it and <laughs> and it was like okay we're gonna go we're gonna keep going keep going and I was like, all right, all hell's broken loose. Oh, good, we're out of time. That's the end of the show. And I just remember getting off. I couldn't even get off the stage. And people, the writers are coming up to me, asking me questions about it. It was just a weird situation for my first time at HBO. Uh, but again, I mean, you can, you can only, it's easy after the fact to go, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. You can only accept what you do in the moment and live with it. And, and I, I don't know that I would really do much difference if it happened, if it happened tonight. I mean, you just got to roll with it and, uh, and hope that the place you work for backs you up. Any, any contact with Artie of late? Everyone I talked to, they don't know where he is. He's been AWOL. Yeah, I, I reached out. Um, through that same publicist, oddly enough, that, that got me on Stern, I said, I, I want to book Artie on my podcast. I mean, we've done a bunch of interviews together since then. He interviewed me. One of the best interviews I feel like I've ever given was hosted by him on a direct TV thing around a Super Bowl in New Orleans, like whenever that was, 2012 or 13. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was really great. It was good to catch up. So I reached out, uh, and the publicist went through some people. David Tell, a comedian, was uh, is friends with him. And I think he's just maybe finally kind of tucked himself away to try to get as healthy as he can um, and then just laying low. So I, I don't know that he would do it. Maybe he would do it for me. But more than that, I just want to make sure he's – kind of still doing okay and he's he's battling a lot of demons uh you know he's brilliantly funny unbelievable memory huge sports fan it's, he's still everything that, that that's why i wanted him on that show yes um so a couple more minutes i was going to start with your podcast but we started talking about your dad but that's the name of the podcast okay. daddy issues um it's uh it's really good it's you and oliver hudson um Big guest, Adam Carolla, Eddie Vedder, Hank Azaria, and then you got your sports guys, Adam Sandler, Barkley. You had a it's a great mix, but just tell me I think and I remember I feel like I'm the reason why you're doing one, because we we did an interview the last time we did was your book, and I bought the audio book because I'm not much of a reader. I don't like to read. So I told you, I said, Man, this is it was just like listening to a podcast. When when are you gonna do a podcast? And lo and behold, we you didn't you pick Oliver Hudson instead of me to be the co host, which is fine. Big, big, bigger name, but uh, just tell me uh, a little bit about what you would want well, people to know. Him, he's not. Uh, that He's got a million daddy issues. My daddy issues are all kind of from coming from a good place because, I mean, he's my best friend. Well, yeah, so yeah, so you could have just done a podcast, but you really sort of, you do concentrate. 
was was that what in your mind? I want to do a podcast, but I want to have a reason. Like I wanted to have you know some some structure of we're going to talk about parenting and and things with people you don't hear talk about it. Or was it I'm going to do a podcast and if that stuff comes up because it really is interesting because you don't hear people talk about those things the way you guys are talking about them. Yeah, we just did one with John Stamos and and uh, did that yesterday, and then last week did Tia. Uh, Maury, who was on the show Sister, Sister, which I was really uh, well aware of because my girls watched every episode of that and I, I was watching the rhythm. And she, at the end, was like, I just think it's really cool to hear two, you know, men, Oliver's 44, I'm 51, almost 52, talk about parenting and kind of, you know, being a man in the world today and what that entails and, you know, being a son and being a brother and being a father and being a husband and an ex-husband and all these different things. I, he, Oliver and I are, are really good friends. We're very different. He's kind of more carefree. I'm more, you know, it's almost like the odd couple. I'm, I'm Felix and he's Oscar. I'm, I'm more straight laced and he's more kind of crazy and just go by the seat of his pants, but he's a great dad. I like to consider myself. I hope I'm a great dad or a good dad. And talking about this stuff, it, you know, Oliver had a dad that walked out on him when he was less than 10. He changes the age every time we do a show. So let's say six. Uh, he's got a sister, Kate Hudson, who's, you know, been nominated for an Oscar. His mom's Goldie Hawn. His dad, his de facto dad is Kurt Russell. And, and he always feels like he doesn't measure up. And he also is still, you know, obviously scarred by his dad leaving him at such a young age. And he's a great dad himself, and he wanted to break that cycle uh, of, of kind of feeling abandoned uh, as a child, and he's done that successfully. And then for me, my daddy issues are from all good stuff. You know, I love my dad. He was my best friend. I idolize the guy. In St. Louis, I'll never measure up. And I think those are the daddy issues that I have, and, and that's fine. That's not like I don't have any resentment to him for that at all. Uh, but that's having a through line, I think, is is necessary, at least for me, to have something to go back to for every guest. If you talk to Eddie Vedder, if you talk to John Stamos, if you talk to Nikki Glazer, if you talk to Adam Sandler, everybody's got a story about their dad. Maybe great, maybe horrible, it may be something in the middle. But everybody's got a story and everybody comes from somewhere. So I, I think talking about that stuff has been really rewarding and fun. And it's slowly growing in popularity. So it's nice to have something of my own and have something of my own that's not just sports, sports, sports. Yeah, it feels like this is like the outlet for you. If I, I always felt like yeah. that would be perfect because maybe the HBO thing was a little too stiff and stodgy, undeniable, was just kind of straight on interview. But this is where you get to be you and you can curse and, and get to kind of just say the thing. And then also, like what I said, when you have a drinking thing come up with Colin Coward, you can go on and that's what I was really interested in. Or the flyover incident, you talked about it easily and, and just that way you get your voice. You don't have Dan or picking out quotes or, or Rudy Martsky. I don't even know if he's still, I guess he's not doing that anymore, but, but you get to yeah, sit. There's a fake Rudy Martsky out there. I, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think anytime you kind of give somebody else control, <clears throat> over your uh, your voice, so to speak, you don't know how it's going to come out. And, and so when it's you and you get a chance to slowly, methodically go through something that happened, it's, it's a pleasure. You know, it's like, okay, if you want to really know what happened in the flyover thing, 
which is was us talking facetiously way off air before the game to our producer. It was stuff we talk about at dinner, stuff we talk all the time about. Um, if you want to know what that was really all about, as opposed to what was kind of sold up the river with pirated audio that was taken from a rehearsal, well, then here's where you can go and listen to it. Or if you want to know about the Colin Coward situation, what I was actually saying on there, instead of what becomes clickbait, then come to the podcast. And and so, yeah, that, that's kind of a fringe benefit, but not the reason to do it. But it's certainly nice to have that once a week to go, well, I'm going to save my my rebuttal for when my name's on it, not somebody else's. I appreciate this time. I know I've spent more time with you. I have a couple quick hits. What's going on behind you? I see an Emmy. I see some pictures. Do you mind us just kind of taking a look at what's going on back there? What, what do you got? Anything sure. fun to tell yeah, us? Uh, I've got the World Series trophy that was my gift from my dad for Christmas in 1982, a couple months after the Cardinals won the World Series. So that's what that's from. It's kind of a miniature version, but legit i mean it's not plastic it's it's uh it's heavy if there's gold involved there's gold plated something and then an emmy and then i think a lot of uh what else is back there my dad's uh scorecard from mcguire a uh, mcguire year i believe when in 98 one of those home runs and then just a lot of pictures pictures of my dad and me pictures of uh my mom's back there somewhere. Howard Stern is over here. So that's what I thought. I thought I didn't want to say anything. I was like, "Is that Howard over there? Why? Why is he over yeah, there?" Howard's over there. My kids are somewhere. They should be way more prominent than they actually are. Well, but, why is Howard over there? I'm curious. Um, just I don't know. It's just different. And when I if I go on, like I, I sat in this seat for an appearance on the uh, Ellen Show, and for her to see Stern back there. I don't know. It's, it's, he sent me that. It's an autograph picture of him. I, I've had a thousand autograph pictures from people, none of which are displayed anywhere. And most of which have been lost. Uh, but that one I put up and I don't know, it's kind of, it would be a good show to kind of dissect what's behind everybody and, and kind of go through the reasons why, you know, certain friends, a specific golf trip, a moment, you know, with my wife on a, you know, important vacation or my mom is back there from Broadway. That was like her headshot back in the 60s. Um, you know, I, I feel like everybody kind of had to make their best background uh, this past year. And this is kind of a mess behind me, but it's not like the Da Vinci code, but there are things back there that I think are, are important to me. And if you really took a minute to go through all that, you know, I, I don't want to bore your audience because they can't see it. So uh, that's kind of what's back there. No, that's why the man cave became kind of a nice thing back here. People ask why I stand and it's just more comfortable. I mean, nice. I just I need to get a hold of your framer and or your picture hanger. That's me. Whoever I did that. That's eBay. The so yeah, that's you a heavy, heavy OCD, which we just talked about with Howie Mandel. I'm kidding about the OCD part, uh, but Howie Mandel does come out this week. I don't know when this podcast is going to air. Uh, talking about a lot of that stuff that he's dealt with, but my God, you that is like a level. That is a level playing field. Back so a friend of mine had he's an architect type guy, and he had a picture, and it's like a thousand times more nicer than this so 
I liked it. And it's so I like, and all you had to do, this is really easy. It was, you just put a piece, the piece of paper and you put the frames in and then just cut the paper out. It was more, I'm not good at this stuff, but it actually turned out, it actually, it's the 2006 and 2011 Cardinal World Championships, along with uh, some Legends Camp, and there's me and Mark McGuire after the 2000 uh, NL uh, DS, and, or, and when they won the Central. If you, I, I'm telling you what is going on back here with me. I don't know if you... I, yeah, well, a lot of this stuff kind of blends in for me. I'm better at 80s trivia than I am at uh, anything in the 2000s. This will go somewhere. This will definitely... And I always, So I always have to add... We've done a bunch of these interviews. I always go, okay, so what's next? So how many more years of baseball? What do you, what, is there anything? I mean, you're doing a podcast. It feels like we're in a good, good groove right now, right? The, yeah, I, I've, I've carved out, I think, as good a schedule as I can carve out. I, I think the one thing that people mistake is that they think I'm constantly working, which I like that perception, but that's not reality. I mean, when I was a young dad in my late 20s and early 30s, which sounds really young to me now, I had more time with my daughters than any of my friends that were, you know, going to the office, doing the 95 thing, you know, getting maybe a minute to themselves on the weekend, going and playing golf. I, I, I was there like Monday through Friday, I'm home. So I, I'm there for homework. I'm there for carpool. I'm there for morning drop-off. I'm there for, you know, practice after school, whatever that was. So I, I think schedule wise, I'm good. I, I don't, hope to change anything anytime soon. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've managed to figure out a way where I, I pack the majority of my schedule between October and the end of January. And the rest of the time, the rest of the calendar is, is time to either just get out of people's television screen or, uh, raise a family. And, and that's, you know, it's the best of both worlds. And, and I, you know, what's next is just continuing to do what I'm doing, hopefully growing the podcast out bigger and better. But even if, if one person listens to it or a billion people listen to it, it doesn't really change kind of why I want to do it. I just want to do it because I enjoy it and uh, I enjoy my co-host and most of the time enjoy the hell out of anybody we've had on. So it's, it's fun to do. And uh, um, that's what, Fun is going to dictate whatever choices I make going forward. Um, if it's fun and something exciting that I want to do, I'm going to try to do it. And if it isn't, then I'm going to eliminate it. Uh, I hate to be very personal, but every morning on Google, I'd see that you'd sold a house. And so I'm glad. Yeah, we, sold a house. we sold a house here. We're moving to another house uh, literally, literally down the street. Okay. So um, people are worried. Like, is Joe leaving St. Louis? That's like a huge don't. No, no, no. Uh, just, just kind of trading one for the other. And, uh, with boys, this little, uh, having a little bit of space between us and them is what we're kind of trying to achieve. But, uh, yeah, love the house we're in, which is the house we just sold excited about the house we're going into, but, uh, going 200 yards from where I'm sitting right now. Good. All right. Everybody can calm down. Joe, I know you do you got a lot of you got a lot of uh, people asking you to do these, so I always appreciate you taking some time. This is always fun. Like I said, grew up with your dad, grew up listening to you. You've always been good to me, so I appreciate this. And maybe we'll do it again in another five years. I think I I got most of the stuff here. This is how I do my prep. I don't know, but uh, I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, obviously, yeah, of course. And sorry, I'm 
tough sometimes to pin down, but I'm happy to do it. Um, I'm happy for your success and, and all that you're doing. I feel like I've watched you grow up. So um, good for you, and thanks for having me on. All right, that's Joe Buck. We thank Joe. We hope you enjoyed this. Brought to you again by Masses in St. Louis, five locations, stlmasses.com. We'll see you next time.